Welcome to the Authorised Podcast with me, Harry Reid, and you can find my book on Amazon, Kindle and Audible. Thank you so much for watching. You can also jump to the description down below and support us at Patreon. Thank you. Welcome to the Authorised Podcast. I'm Harry Reardon. Robert, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Harry. My name's Robert H. Page. I'm from Bolton in Lancashire, and I've recently become an author. Recent. And uh, let's, yeah, let's get into that. What, what, uh... What started the recent? Well, what made you? What made you get started now? Uh, <laughs> it's funny, really. Um, I'm actually a, a musician, and of, of course, the last twelve months have been a little uh, quiet on the music front, shall I say? So um, I decided I would turn my creativity into writing. So uh, it's funny because I'm a keen crime fiction uh, reader and also a keen crime fiction viewer on the television and Netflix, etc. And I'm one of these people that watches these programmes, and then I, I'm always annoying my wife by saying, oh, wouldn't it have been good if they'd done this, or the twist isn't good enough in this one, or, you know, things like that. And uh, I just thought, why don't I have a go at myself? So that's exactly how I started. Absolutely, and it's it's a great it's it's a great way to do it. I what I love is uh, I had a similar thought at the beginning of the first pandemic. I had a friend, a musician, who uh, was really struggling because they were like, "Well, what are we going to do now?" They uh, the 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 debate was, um, "We've got nowhere to perform now. We've got no income," and there was this worry and anxiety of uh, there's no there's there's no audience there's there's no there's nothing to do and uh i reached out to her because i thought well we've got you have the opportunity now in time for the biggest to create the biggest audience ever with the fact that you have access to the internet which is a great way of doing it so i created uh the podcast with the idea of um giving these people these platforms where they can perform and they can still work from home but they can have an opportunity to still get their art that you know the 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 art out there and i reached out to her and a bunch of other musicians and uh they all said no <laughs> <laughs> so uh i i rolled with it anyway and uh it gave me the opportunity to to do this and the social distance in so i'm i'm really grateful for that but what i love is that you're, you're the way you look at this crime fiction because a lot of it is crazy i mean it's all crazy you've got you've got to be out of your mind to to obviously go out and to murder and do all these things. But is there something that stood out for you that made you, that you looked at and you were like, I can do, I can do that. Um, it's, it's funny. People ask me what my influences are and what I find is instead of positive influences, what I find is I I'll read or I'll watch and I'll think that would have, in my opinion, would have been better if this had happened or if that had happened. And it's those types of things that I've used as the essence to how I've, you know, to how I've chosen to write and how I've chosen to craft my stories. So one of the things that frustrates me about some of the, for example, the TV crime fiction, and I don't know if you find the same thing, Harry, is you'll watch the first episode of, say, a series, and you think, oh, this is a great story. And then the next three episodes are really slow. And then finally, in the last one, the story unravels. Now, I'm, I'm hungry and I'm greedy, and I like the story to be going quickly all the way through. I like to be fed interesting bits of facts and twists and characters. 
So when I started writing, that was how I decided I would do it. I would write something that's fast-paced. There are always things happening in it. Uh, I wouldn't get bogged down in all the, the fancy prose, you know, spending three days describing a bunch of flowers. <laughs> I'm not, that's not me. I'm more into the action, what happens. And it's from the perspective of the characters, not the police. Because the other thing I find that really gets me is a lot of the crime things you read or you watch are focused on the police. And I've, I've always found I was more interested in the actual perpetrators, what they were up to, what they were planning, how the mind works. So that's how I've focused my books. It's more about the, the bad guys and the other bad guys and what they want to do and a little bit about the police. But I think the story is more interesting when you follow the bad guys. That's just my my view. Yeah, you hear it a lot from actors as well. Actors that play villains, they get to have more fun. They get to ham it up and they get to be a bit more out there and a bit more evil. There's something I think that's going away is the, the stoic hero. You know, the uh, looks into the distance and take uh, runs at any challenge head on because that character has all it's been done a million times when you've got an opportunity like uh with the joker recently you've got an opportunity for a a villain that is you know like and they get into it and i think the problem with tv especially is because they you get a series order and i notice this a lot with cw shows now i like them i'm not i'm not dissing them at all but they give it 23 episodes yeah. And there's only so much you can do in 23 episodes before you're just stretching a story. You're like wringing it out as much as you possibly can, as opposed to a mind hunter, which is what six episodes per season. And you get to the good stuff straight away. Yeah. I'm firmly on the six episodes a season uh, viewpoint, to be honest, six episodes, fast and furious. Yeah, and you you get a chance to flesh out your your characters, and you get a chance to meet everyone. You get all the details, but you don't get all that filler. Then block episodes where they don't they don't add to the story. And again, there's nothing wrong with some of them shows. Some of them are great, but you will always get you will always get the filler. And I think that is something that I think the BBC or a British tele, uh, programs a lot do a lot different. They do like Sherlock as opposed to. Um, the American show, like I can't remember what that's called. It's 23 episodes to three. Yeah. So you, you get a chance to see that sort of difference. Yeah. Uh, so what's, what's the plan for you now? You've got your first book. Well, I've actually written three. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you the story. I started off and wrote the first book uh, and I decided I would follow the traditional publishing route, being very naive when it comes to books. So I did some research, uh, looked at crime fiction publishers because publishers tend to focus on a genre and I found four um, large global publishing houses uh, that were based in London or had offices in London and I thought this is probably the best way to do it so I'd finished the first book and I didn't know what to do with it so I looked on the internet found that you need to put together a pack including your book and a bio and a whole bunch of other things press release you name it. So I put all this together, uh, built my pack, sent it off to these four chosen publishers. And sure enough, within a, a month or so, I'd heard back from all four. And within a couple of months, I'd actually received uh, contracts from all four. But they were contributory contracts. So the, the way it works in the authoring business is 
if you're a new author, then a publishing house isn't going to take the risk and the hit of spending thousands of pounds formatting and printing up books and distributing them, not knowing whether they're going to sell. So what they want is the author to make a contribution. And this is no small contribution. You're talking two, three, five thousand pounds. Now, for me, I have two issues with that. One is that I didn't have the money. And secondly, um, I'm one of these people that looks looks at these things. And if I'm paying for something, I want to know what it's for. And I want to know whether I can do it myself or not. Now, I've worked in IT all my working life. Uh, and I'm in sales and marketing. So things like building press releases, building websites, um, that type of thing is bread and butter to me. I understand the internet, keywords, marketing. And I thought, what am I actually paying for? So I looked into it a little further and I found that uh, you could actually self-publish. Uh, it, what it means is you do all the work yourself. You don't have to pay any money, but then you've got the massive challenge of marketing and and selling your work. So I decided I would take the self-publishing route. So Amazon uh, was the platform that I chose. There are a number of platforms, but personally, I like to read on a Kindle. So I decided Amazon, love them or hate them, was probably the best platform for me. And they also recently brought out a tool called Kindle Create, and it's a great tool. Uh, on the upside, it lets you format your manuscript from beginning to end, format the chapters, acknowledgements, um, cover design, it allocates ISBN numbers, uh, puts QR codes on, the works. The downside is once you import your manuscript into Kindle Create, um, you cannot get it out. So if you were to choose to publish elsewhere, then um, maybe Kindle Create isn't the best way for you. But anyway, I chose to publish through Kindle Create for two reasons, really. One is I wanted to self-publish. And the other was when I further looked into the business of authoring, you're unlikely to get a non-contributory contract unless you've got books under your belt that you've sold and have got good reviews. So I decided since my first book was developing into a trilogy, I would self-publish that. And then when I wrote the following book, which I've just started, I would then go back to the traditional publisher route to see if I could then get a non-contributory contract on the back of the fact that I've already got three books written and uh, in publication. So there you go. That's that's my story. It's it's a uh, it's a great way of doing it as well. I think I had a similar issue with uh, uh, the publishing company, <clears throat> the one that I went with. Uh, I nothing nothing against them they were they were great they re, they were super nice but yeah the up the upfront the upfront cost and the thing that put me off the most is knowing that they can chop change take things out you know they can they can take your story and if they don't like a certain character or a certain story beat they can just take that as much as they want and I I personally I didn't like the idea of that like there was I had to sit and think about it and I was like there was no one character that if I had to take out that I would want to. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does absolutely make sense. I understand that 100%. It's funny, but I'm, I think most authors are exactly like that. But maybe from my background of being a musician, I'm not really that precious. Uh, my, my ultimate goal would be to get the three books either made into th three films or 
maybe three miniseries with, say, six episodes, like we said. And for me, the, the ideal um, director for that would be Guy Ritchie, because I love the style he has. He's just quick, straight to the point, brutal at times, um, but also sorry i lost my mic then uh, <laughs> that's that's a first that's a first for me uh, uh, uh guy Ritchie would be absolutely fantastic we recently watched the gentleman and like oh, you see brilliant. that yeah the, yeah that that sort of style like that would that would fit perfectly does he do tv he doesn't that i know of um but uh, i've tried reaching out to him but as you know yourself it's uh it's not easy um but one, one, the other thing about my, my book is, I, as you probably guessed by now, I do like to be a little different. Uh, I've never, never been a follower of fashion or follower of what other people do. I firmly like to do what I want to do. And if people like it, great. And if they don't, then uh, mind. But my leading character, although I say I'd like Guy Ritchie to, to do this, my leading character is actually female. So she starts off and she's quite, quite young, just left school, a uh, bit of a, um, an unconventional upbringing. Her father's a diplomat and a bit of a dodgy one, as you'll find out. Um, his nickname is the weasel because he's a bit uh, slippery. And to cut a long story short, he gets blown up in the first book. And that's where the title, Ben Goes the Weasel, comes from. Um, so he, he has some... Uh, bad dealings and ultimately one of the guys he deals with that he upsets decides he's going to take his revenge out on the weasel by kidnapping his daughter holding her for ransom and that's how the first book starts she gets kidnapped um he's prepared um he's prepared an old victorian terraced house in horwich near bolton uh, close to the bolton wanderers stadium and i'll get onto that in a minute but i'm a lifelong <laughs> bolton fan. um Anyway, so he takes her, he imprisons her in the uh, cellar, which is effectively converted to a music room, so it's soundproofed. You can see there's a lot of music links in here. Yeah. Anyway, um, what he doesn't know is that she's a bit of a sociopath uh, and manages to befriend him. Uh, and together they go on this trail of destruction, aimed around getting the ransom money off her father, blowing him up but uh, in order to distract from that this plan a few more bombs here and there to make it look like a, a terrorist attack and off we go and that's how it starts but what it does is it starts a, a whole tale of other things that come out on the back of it because when they get the ransom money off her father before they kill him he actually has some other documents within the bag which has the money in which he was on his way to deliver which are very incriminating to the head of the the bad guys which he's been dealing with and consequently the bad guys then start hunting her down because they want this document and that's like the second period so the first book sees the kidnapping the bombings and the escape and the start of the bad guys tracking her down the end of the first book has a big twist which obviously i'll not say um, the second book, she then goes on the run with the organised crime guys coming after her and um, has an even bigger twist at the end of it. Um, the third book is when the tables turn and she then goes on revenge, trying to hunt down the bad guys and bump them off before they get to her. Um, 
I've probably gone on far too long there, but that's that's the gist of the story. No, absolutely not. I, it's it sounds super interesting. I love the 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 uh, the approach. I love the bango Luisa. I'm not going to lie, that did get me a little bit. But uh, so actually, I do have to quickly ask um, as something something uh, you said about the director. I had a similar thought when writing my first book, The Recluse, on Amazon and Audible. By the way, uh, the you uh, sorry, I had to plug that. Uh, when you when you wrote when you wrote your main character, did you have someone in mind? <laughs> I did, but I didn't say it on air. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I had someone on, on mind, and I ultimately I ended up changing the name um, simply because some of the things that that happened to the character in my dodgy imagination um, w- um, wouldn't have boarded well, shall I say. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay okay i get it i get it yeah is it uh, i've never been so asked I'm... that before but that's a cracking question that harry thanks the, the only reason i ask is because i had i had a number i had a, a number of not a number for the for the main character and the 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 two mains i had i had the 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 idea straight away where i was like it's it's chris simmons it's jack o'connell i was like no matter what like obviously, if it ultimately came down to it, it's not my choice. Like I understand that, and I'd be happy. I'd, to be honest, I'd be happy if it was made into a cartoon. But I, that straight away, I had that as a forethought. I was like, because that helps me write the character's dialogue. If that makes sense, it does. I understand completely. But then I also had uh, a character that came in later on, which is not someone famous, but uh, I have a guy that lives in my area who's a uh how i want to say this politely he's a dickhead yeah and uh he 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 would write these passive aggressive notes on uh like cars and bikes and stuff like that like for people in the area and i was like such a weird weird thing to do like what like my brain i couldn't work it out and uh so in the end i wrote him in and then killed him off that was quite satisfying so. I'll tell you what I've done is um, I've I've taken one or two of the people I've experienced in my working life that um, let's just say I didn't enjoy working with, <laughs> and you'll find that the some of the bad guys, particularly the ones that die in horrific ways, are based are based on these people. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, the same name for one or two, uh, only oh, surname that's, though, that's only amazing. surname. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm really glad it wasn't just me that did that because I felt. No. I mean, don't get me wrong. I killed him off in in a in a in a very brutal fashion. It was it was really satisfying to write. But I'm glad it's not just me. That means I'm not completely psychotic. So no. What's your, but, uh... <laughs> well, I'm double psychotic because I've got friends who say, "Oh, you must write me into a book." So uh, I wrote. Uh, I were all best friends from when we lived in Bolton. Um, I'll not I'll not say the names because I don't want to spoil the story, but. That couple do feature in my book, uh, and she was over the moon when she bought the book and read it. And then she messaged me and said, "You killed us off." <laughs> I said, yes, I did. That's um, amazing. We got killed off in a yeah, quite a nasty way on board a cruise ship, um, celebrating his retirement. Funnily enough, he oh, didn't wow. have a retirement. But yeah, I've, I've got quite a few people in there that have asked. But the other thing I do is I try, like to mix it up, like. Our best friend's daughter and husband uh, wanted to be in the book. Um, so what I did is I swapped them round. Because both their first names could be male or female, I swapped them round in the book. Oh, um, okay. 
the other thing you'll find is a lot of the hoodlums have got nicknames. I don't give them full names, but uh, based on what I said earlier, an example of those would be JJ and Davo and Campo um, and Nolan. They're all some of the bad guys who are historical Bolton Wanderers players. So uh, I do a lot of plugging on the Bolton Wanderers forums to, uh, and, and quite a few of the Bolton guys uh, buy the books as well. Oh, that's amazing! It's good that you've uh, that you've been able to. I'm not a, I personally. I'm not a football fan. I did try, but I was so bad at football at, in school that I got. I they would argue who had to have me. Like um, <laughs> you were the swan when they were picking the team. Oh mate, I got picked after the fat kid, and uh, and I was one of the fat kids. Don't get me wrong. So yeah, it was it it got bad. It did get. <laughs> I was very. I was so bad at football. I'm still not that I'm any better now. I'm awful, but. Uh, like it's great that you've got that for me i'm a i'm a boxing fan so that is shown inherently in a lot of the books or like oh, what brilliant I'm, what i'm writing so it's great that you've done that do you just music obviously music's how much <laughs> how much does music play a part in your writing process for me it's every every chapter every story is based off of music yeah does that come in I, for you it does um i think i write I, the way you write is, is part of your creative process. And I think whether you're writing a song or whether you're writing a book or uh, something else, you, you probably follow similar steps. I, I do find that uh, I like to include topics that I know well and places that I know well when I'm writing. Because if you're writing about somewhere you've never been, it's never going to be as good and you're going to trip up. So I've included music in, in the book. Um, not so much in the first book, but in the second book, um, being part of a band or two bands actually features quite heavily in the storyline. And there's a bit of that in the third book as well, but that's a, a bit of a sideline. So music features quite heavily in it. And as a musician, if you've been in gigging bands, there's a lot of stuff in there that's, I wouldn't say in jokes to musicians, but things about, you know, the singer always turning up last and, not wanting to set the gear up or the, the one person in the band that's a technophobe who doesn't know how to plug the speaker cables in and therefore gets away with doing less work. And the other guy in the band, usually me, that uh, that manages the mixer desk, does all the sound, does all the lights, gets there first, loads the car up and gets there last. There's all that sort of musician humour and uh, stuff in there as well, which seems to go down well with my musician friends. Oh, absolutely. I love when, when you can put these little details in, when you can, you can put things in that, yeah, maybe not, they're not going to be known to everyone. They're not, they're not going to be that. But when you do look at it, it, it stands out. I do really, I do really enjoy that. So yeah. um, have you got, like, have you, you put out the first book? Yeah, I've released all three now. Uh, the first one I published oh. uh, beginning of, well, I, I got around to looking at it at the beginning of lockdown. Uh, I, I lost lost my job at the beginning of lockdown and I'd been writing the book in bits and bats when I had time. And then now I found I had some time on my hands with the advent of the virus, of course, nobody was interviewing. Um, the job market was, was sort of slow. So I thought, well, while I've got some time, um, I might as well put it into something productive. I couldn't do any music. So I finished the first book off, read through it, re-edited it, got a friend to proofread it, uh, went through the publishing process and self-published it. 
But by the time I'd finished publishing it, I'd written three quarters of the second book simply because I had time on my hands. And um, so I finished that one, published the second book in August, and then um, started working on the third one at the end of last year and over Christmas, again, when I had some time. And the third one uh, came out this weekend, just gone. So it became available on Amazon the back end of, of last week. Oh, wow. So work-wise, as well as writing the books, I got together with some ex-colleagues who I'd worked with that were mainly self-employed who also find themselves out of work. So five of us got together and um, we formed a new company and launched on the 1st of June. So that's that's kept me very busy since then. Um, so it's just been full out, really. And what's the, what's the new company? Am I allowed to... Yeah, the new... Um, my background is I've, I've worked in IT all my life. And the last 20 years, I've worked in ERP, which is Enterprise Resourcing and Planning, which is something that 99% of the population have never heard of. But it's that one massive piece of software that only big companies buy that runs everything. And it comes from companies like Oracle and SAP. And my background is working working with Oracle, and in particular, J.D. Edwards, who I, I used to work for. And it's a massive piece of modular software that runs all your finance, all your manufacturing, all your supply chain. It'll do your payroll. It'll do your HR. It'll do everything if you've got pockets big enough to buy it with. So the, the company I work with, what we do is we just focus on the user interface. So we make the user interface better particularly uh, for home workers. So that was the, not the bandwagon, but that was the angle we took when we first launched. It was around building new pages for the system to proactively let users find out what they need to do and help them do it. Instead of just being sat at home with a menu and 500 options going, what am I going to do now? So that's how we started. The focus is now more on becoming more efficient, but that's boring, so we'll not talk about that. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it, it's great to see such work ethic. I mean, I feel what's been really great about this pandemic, if I'm allowed to say that, I know it's been horrific and people are struggling and things aren't easy. I quit my job three days before the first lockdown, like an absolute fool, uh, <laughs> to pursue... Uh, to to start my own boxing coaching company essentially wow and then that, and then that went straight out the window because obviously no one's you, you can't do it and so we, i was already writing the book and we were just faced with all of these things now of like okay well well what do we do now you know and it's great to see how so many people have kept themselves busy and people are, are able to form companies are able to write books are able to do all these things I've seen amazing personal trainers working from home by doing live streams, which is great if you've got the confidence to do that and, you know, to encourage people to to still want to work. I think that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I think when you find yourself, like we both did, out of work with no money coming in, um, and I was getting absolutely no help from the government at all, so I ended up having to, you know, dip into my pension to keep me going for six months while we got it going. And I think when you're faced in that situation and you're not fortunate enough to be furloughed or anything, you simply have no choice. You've, you've got to find something to do and, and, and do it quickly. And it's, uh, you know, that's, this is what you've got to do, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's been a, a great thing. Even 
being on on this side, the the, the people I've got to uh, speak to, and the amount of people that have been in similar situations, and they've they've been like, well, fuck it, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I think that's absolutely amazing because you should ultimately you you should. Have you got any plans to resume your music whilst when you get back to it? Absolutely. Um, I, 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 I'm one of these musicians that plays different instruments. Uh, I, I never had a, a music lesson in my life, apart from when I was about 12 and I used to have organ lessons because my me, me dad used to have an organ. But <laughs> my dad was funny. He had a unique talent that he could put the drum machine on on the organ and then play the organ in a different tempo. And I tell you what, I couldn't do that if I tried. A bit like Les Dawson used to be playing the piano. Um, but anyway, we always had an, an organ as a, as a kid. And um, I used to love playing this thing and playing TV tunes and stuff like that. And when I got into rock music as sort of a teenager, I found the bands I liked the most were bands that had an organ. So it was like Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, that type of stuff. And that got me into you know, keyboards rather than organ. And when I left school, um, some of my friends I'd been to school with formed a rock band and they decided they wanted a keyboard player. And of course, nobody played the keyboards in those days. So I was the only one they knew, so they asked me. And for a, a couple of years, I was driving around with a Hammond organ in the back of a Ford Escort, uh, doing about 20 miles an hour because of the weight of the damn thing. And um, yeah, we were, we were playing pubs. And then the keyboard, the, um, the bass player in the band actually left at short notice. And I'd always, I don't know why, but I'd always fancied playing the bass. Uh, he left and we had gigs and I thought, I better, uh, I'll learn to play the bass. How difficult can it be? So I learned to play the bass and then went on to play bass and keyboards for a good few years. And then um, about 25 years ago, I went to the music shop for a set of guitar strings. And as a musician, you'll understand this went for a set of guitar strings, came on with a drum kit. <laughs> so I uh, taught, taught myself to play the drums. So the last uh, 20 years or so, I've, I've usually been playing in two bands at a time, one playing the drums, one playing the bass and singing. And indeed, that's that's really where I've been at up to the last uh, year or two, really. Right now, uh, my main band is called Total Affect. That's Affect with an A. And we're a function band. We specialise in weddings and festivals. That's what we love doing. And we're a classic rock band. So most of our repertoire is 70s and 80s uh, rock music. One of, the, one of the things that we do that most other bands don't is we've got three lead singers and we all sing different styles. My style is the rocky stuff like ACDC, Rolling Stones. That's the sort of stuff I sing. Uh, ben, the lead singer, has got a great singing voice and he can do anything from Bon Jovi to Queen to Stevie Wonder to Thin Lizzy. And James sings some of the other stuff like Bon Jovi. Uh, so between the three of us, there isn't an awful lot that we can't sing, but it also enables us to do things like Queen and the Eagles that require harmonies. And that's what sets us aside from a lot of the other bands because it doesn't matter how great your guitar is, I think at the end of the day, people listen to the singing and the melody. And if you've got three singers that can pull off a great harmony on the back of a fantastic song like Hotel California by the Eagles or The Boys Are Back in Town by Thin Lizzy. Or... Hotel California is one of my favourite songs of all time. So yeah. I can't carry on. <laughs> and this is the only band I've ever been in that has been able to do a version of it 
that I think that is really good and I'm proud of that. So, so that's what we do. So you asked about the band. The band has been deadly quiet. We've not practiced because it's not been possible either legally or, you know, to do it safely. Um, two of the guys live in Barn Oldswick, which is in the sort of central Lancashire. And I live near Preston and the drummer lives in Leyland, which is quite close to me. So we're in two separate counties. So we've not been able to mix. So we haven't rehearsed. We have rehearsed once when we were able to after the last lockdown. And the last gig we played was February last year. However, what I have noticed is in the last two weeks, uh, now there is light at the end of the tunnel, I've started getting bookings. So we've got four wedding bookings in the last two weeks. Uh, one of the festivals that was postponed from last year is now being reorganised for the back end of June. It's obviously an outdoor festival and it's a massive area. So it's, it's one that you can do safely. So things have started moving again. And funnily enough, we did a band Zoom call on Friday night to discuss all these songs that these couples want us to play for the first song. And we've had some, some wild requests, really. Somebody wanted us to play uh, Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits. And much though I like Dire Straits, we had to say <laughs> that we couldn't do that one, simply because you couldn't do it justice without the piano. And uh, our default band setup is two guitars, bass and drums. So um, they decided to have Layla instead by Derek and the Dominoes, Eric Claptout, as I call him. Um, so, so we've learned that one. Um, we'll be rehearsing that at the next rehearsal. Uh, another couple wanted uh, I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett. So that's on the list. Um, Walk This Way, Aerosmith, that's on the list. Um, and also uh, Word Up by um, a number of different bands. So they're all on the list for our first rehearsal. So um, I believe that'll be in about a month when it's uh, legal and safe to, to get in the in recording studios to rehearse. So time will be tight because we'll only have time for three or four rehearsals before the first gig. But uh, we'll be fine. I think sometimes that's when you do your best work is when you're backed up a little bit and, you know, you've got that, uh, that sort of... Um, that desire and that push from a sports background like sometimes when some of the the best times are when you don't have like a long training camp or when you haven't got uh, a super long time to make everything work and then you've got to focus on what's important and you just got to crack on and you know but as a personal opinion obviously I, I could go either way I do have to ask being a, a lifelong musician and your uh uh, like you and your music inspirations coming from the 70s the 80s how do you think modern rock stands against the the legends of old don't get me wrong don't get me wrong i know no one's no hotel california uh the acdc heaven and hell by black sabbath i don't think i've heard a song that has come close to that personally yeah how do you think mo modern rock stands against that um it's funny uh I'm 57 now, so I'm the oldest in, in the band. Uh, the other guys are in the 30s. Um, but you always need one old guy, don't you? You always need a flat old bald bass player with a hat on. Motley Crue. It's, it's tradition, yeah. yeah. So, so yes, yeah, so my, my viewpoints uh, are slightly different. Um, personally, there are some of the modern rock bands that I think are fantastic. But 
I don't like as much of the modern music as I do of the 70s, 80s and some of the 90s. But that's just my personal taste. And I think quite a few of the modern rock bands have big influences on some of the old older bands as well. I think bands like Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple have a, a big influence on a, a lot of the, the modern bands. But, but any good rock music I like. I love listening to Planet Rock. Uh, Greater Manchester Rock Radio, some of the some of the stations that that do play the good old rock stuff. But I'll tell you what else I've noticed, and I'm showing my age now here, Harry. <laughs> my wife loves to listen to Radio Two, and I've heard some stuff on Radio Two that I've never heard before, like ACDC, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, and not just you'd be boring commercial songs, but some of the good ones. So yeah, so I do like the I do like the old stuff. I think it's easier now as well with like with the likes of Spotify, YouTube, you know, iTunes. You have the uh, opportunity to find a proper back catalogue rather than going to your local tape uh, vinyl store and trying to trying to find new music, new albums. You've got it at your fingertips to be able to just go. Do you know what? I'm going to go back. I've been uh, doing it recently with uh, like hip hop, like going back and listening to a lot of old artists or albums that I've heard great things about and i just i've never listened to and i think that makes it so much it, it it's an advantage i think that we have that we take advantage we take for granted i think one of the great advantages of the new technology is it's able to look at what you've played and you like and make suggestions that are similar and i think it opens your ears to artists that you probably wouldn't have considered listening to but because you're alexa or spotify or whatever chooses a song based on your previous um, requests, it, it opens your eyes to stuff that you may not have listened to, but you suddenly find you like. And you, you, oh. you know, your little biases and things get blown out the window. I think that's the upside of the uh, streaming and playlist technology. There's also a downside. As, a, as an artist that writes and releases albums, back in the day, um, you know, when you bought an LP or a cassette or a CD, um, you would wear it out. You'd play it from beginning to end and you'd wear it out. And lots of albums, the songs run together and there might be uh, a link between the lyrics of the of the songs. But that just gets broken with the uh, playing on a playlist and through Spotify or whatever because you're cherry-picking individual songs. And what, what we found, uh, <clears throat> James in the band uh, also writes his own material and goes under the name of One Cure for Man. And I've played bass on one or two of the songs on his albums. And uh, when we play live, I, I play with him and his brother, Ben, who's our singer guitarist, plays drums for One Cure for Man. And what we find is when the albums are uploaded to Spotify and we plug them, people don't listen to the whole album. And the first song will have a whole bunch of hits and the last song on the album will have less. And that's because people are cherry picking the songs that they listen to. And I think that spoils the album effect because people simply aren't listening to the whole album anymore. Yeah, no, I, I, I do. I get that. It's, it's very easy to just to do that, isn't it? Just to, just to skip. And I miss having a, a decent CD collection when me and my partner finally get our own place. It's one of the things I've spoke about is we, we do, we, we grab finals when we can, we grab songs when we're out, but we don't have, a proper collection that's the thing i look forward to but being able to to see that 
I think it's amazing. Like just just to be given that access. I I go down. I don't know if you do this. I go down rabbit holes. So I I fell in love with uh, Tim McGraw, who's a country and western singer, and like from there, I recently found myself just just going. <laughs> just completely in this rabbit hole of country music of just Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, just all these uh these great songs, these great artists. And uh I love having the access to that. You know. Yeah, I think I completely get that and that's brilliant. And for me that is the best thing about the the streaming technology. <clears throat> in the olden days your mates would say, "Oh, you like this band. You'd like this band." And you borrowed an LP off them or you borrowed a CD. But you've got the whole world telling you that now and you can go down these holes and and find a whole world of music that you would never otherwise have found i've just noticed the time we robert we're gonna have to wrap it up can you please tell everyone where they can find you where they can find your music and where they can find your book certainly i've got my own website so that's www.roberthpage.co.uk and that's p-a-g-e I'm also on Facebook. If you look for Robert H. Page author, um, you'll find me or it's facebook.com slash Robert Howard Page. The books, all three of them are on Amazon. Again, if you go onto Amazon and search for Robert H. Page, you'll find my author page, which lists the three books. The first book is called Bang Goes the Weasel. The second book is called Twinkle Twinkle Little Weasel. And the third book is called, Oh, Where, Oh, Where Has My Little Weasel Gone? <laughs> so if you look for Weasel, you'll probably find me. I'm, in, I'm, intri I'm intrigued by the extra titles. I'm not going to lie. I, I chose the nursery rhyme theme just, just because it, I liked it. But um, the other thing I did is I did a lot of searching on Google and on Amazon to make sure that the titles I picked didn't clash with someone else and that's the other reason i picked robert h page is my author name because my full name's robert howard page but i've never been called robert so all my friends call me howard and all my football friends call me howie uh, and lots of other names i can't mention but i've never been known as robert but uh, robert h page the i couldn't find you did something very clever, which I wish I'd have done before putting my first book out, because what I wasn't aware of is that the only other title online close to mine is a uh, old man, young woman, BDSM book, which uh, is very different from my short horror story. So <laughs> that was quite smart. Okay. Uh, also, for those... If you've made it this far, thank you so much. I'm super grateful. You can jump down to the description below to find all of Robert's information, all of my information. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. King Reardon. You can also find us now on YouTube where we are backdating all our episodes. We're going through that. They're, they're, it's going to take a little while, but I'm getting there very slowly. Thank you so much. And Robert, I hope to, I get a chance to talk to you again soon. It's been an absolute pleasure.